Between Two Beers allows you to tap into the wisdom of some great humans as they tell their stories. So pour yourself a new potty and make yourself at home with Between Two Beers. Cheers. Michael Jordan was basically walking down the hallway getting held up by two of his, you know, people, and he was done. And that was the game where he hit the winning buzzer shot. So we sort of crossed in the hallway, and it was just sort of one of those, well, if it was now, you'd be snapping away like yeah. social media. New episodes every Sunday on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get busy. Hey, I was just reading this quote on mindfulness, and it reminded me of, actually this was reminded to me over the weekend, a person came up to me and said they put on the Matt and Jerry Mindfulness podcast, you know, that we, we did? Oh, yeah. It was one of the great practical jokes of our life. It goes eight minutes of talking and normal mindfulness talk. Like, it was a guided meditation, wasn't it? A guided meditation. Oh, that's And then right. we tell people to put their hands down their pants and pleasure themselves. That was a cry on that. It, it gets, it gets really was, sexual. Yeah. Hmm. Are we and, up on charges for that, by the way? I don't know, but a, a friend of mine was listening to it. No, it wasn't. A, a person who came up to me said that they'd been listening to it in a caravan with the family. And um, oh god, oh no! Because they thought because they starts yeah because they'd listened to it for five minutes themselves and said oh because you know Matt and Jerry are kind of into that kind of stuff maybe this is really just a mindfulness podcast and they're like this is great this will get the kids to sleep we'll just put this on you know it's downloaded on my phone we're camping we can't download anything else put it on and then to his horror it went very sexual oh no yeah I I imagine that'd be challenging with a family that particular podcast what's he thinking though like I think. Anyone that's a fan of our show would arguably know that there has every now and then, like so the unicorn, <laughs> unicorn moments, but every now and then things can get a little bit lewd on this podcast. It's not every day, it's not every week, it's not every, every even every month that we'll say something lewd. Well, I mean, it was only one episode ago that you called up my girlfriend and both harassed her into. What felt like a real HR issue here? Was it? Was it? I didn't. I didn't find that lewd. I thought that was appropriate, wasn't it? She was into it, mate. I'm texting her now. Yeah, this is the problem. Is you've been texting her all weekend, the both yeah. of you, and I, I'm starting to have a bit of a problem with it. We get on well. You both do. We yeah. really. She. Oh. She is such. And she is lovely. She, she is, is such a nice person. She is a lovely, lovely person. Lovely, lovely young lady. Yeah. Good for you guys. You're so lucky. Yeah, I know. I know. You were it's lucky. good that you're happy you were, to you were, you, you were, you're not jealous, which you know is what? good. You were so lucky. You were really lucky to have yeah, her. Yeah, exactly. That was, really, that was really good for you. You were, you were very lucky. So, it's so mature of you not to be jealous. Mm-hmm. You know, with yeah, all the attention that. that she gets. A lot of it, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good that you haven't got a jealous bone in your body. And just for those listeners out there that have reached out, you're not the only one that's reached out to Lauren, all right? Everyone, okay. So let's all just keep it in. Let's keep the cock I'm just out of it. Look at her now on Instagram. What are you doing? Don't do that. All right. Anyway, what are we talking about today? We don't have something else. To we talk are talking about? to Kyle McDonald. McDonald. <laughs> Kyle McDonald, and about his book "Shit Happens: Lessons for Dealing with Life's Ups and Downs." Kyle is a psychologist psychotherapist with over 20 years clinical experience he's passionate about improving access to mental health and addictions treatments and educating the public about psychotherapy 
Okay, right. well, I'm just going to dial him on Zoom, and then you guys are just going to have to talk to him. Yep. Yeah, that's okay with you guys? Yeah, that's good. That's, uh, I'm All looking right. forward to talking to him. I am too. All right. Yes. I mean, he does have a swear on the cover of his book. Shit happens, so. Oh, I just Well, no, there's an eye missing. So that could be anything. Sh- could be shot happens. Sh- happens. Sh- shot happens. Well, actually, that's that. the first question we'll ask him. What is your book actually called? Because there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's a an asterisk. There's an asterisk. Yeah. Okay. Hi, Kyle. It's Matt and Jerry here. Are you there? I am. Good morning. Oh, good oh, morning. Thanks for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Hey, just quickly, this is we're, we're recording, obviously. Um, so I, I couldn't quite work out what the book's called because there's a letter missing in the first <laughs> word. What is that exactly? Uh, shit. Oh, 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 my God. Oh, my goodness. I just oh, I was just hoping please. it was shot. I was hoping it was an O. Oh. <laughs> I was hoping we were going to keep it clean. Yeah. So shit happens. Lessons for dealing with life's ups and downs by Kyle McDonald. You you may know him from his work in the Nutters Club on News Talk ZB, and of course uh, writing in the New Zealand Herald and um, Psychotherapy NZ is the website to go to. So you've written a book. What's the basic? I have. What's the basic? The basic tenant of it. Well, I mean, the basic tenant is, um, you know, after 20, 23 odd years of sitting and uh, listening to people who've turned up in therapy, um, I sort of noticed a few things. Um, and really, it's, I never really wanted to write a self help book, but I hope it's a helpful book. And it's really just a, a, a series of lessons and, and thoughts and, and um, things that I've had uh, and things that I talk about with my clients in therapy over the years. It's interesting because self-help has got a bad name because there's those people that write their books that go, be positive and the universe will reward you. The sort of secret style books and the um, visualise your <laughs> dream car and you'll you'll get it, that kind of thing. has really, um, really sort of uh, lost credibility in the self-help world. But, but really what you're writing about is that bad things will happen to us and uh, we can't stop that. We just need to work out how to deal with them. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's there's no silver bullet for life, right? I mean, I think um, saying you found the silver bullet is probably a pretty good way to sell books, but yeah, uh, that's probably about it, really. And yet, the the, the serious um, idea behind shit happens is is really it's about acceptance. Um, as you say, being able to recognise that even if you've had a a wonderful childhood and a, a secure upbringing, at some point things are going to happen in your life, and at some point you're going to utilise those coping skills that you have. And really the, the aim with those coping skills that we all have is to make sure that we retain flexibility so we can learn new ways of managing and, and hopefully have a, a range of things that we do when that shit does happen. Kyle, it seems that more and more people are struggling with mental health issues. Do you think that more people actually have mental health issues and depression than they used to or are we just talking about it more? And does that help? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I talk in the book about this idea of of concept creep, which is just a really formal way of saying that, you know, we use words like depression and anxiety more in everyday language. And, you know, that's that's due to the great work of um, many destigmatization campaigns around the world. And and I think on on, on balance, it's, it's a good thing, right? We're talking more about how we feel. Um, but I and the research does say that there has been a, a slight increase in depression and anxiety, at least in sort of the OECD countries. But I think a lot of times it's a way to talk about the fact that we're upset about something or that we're distressed or we're struggling. And that happens to all of us. And, and the same sorts of skills that we can apply to serious depression, we can apply to sort of day-to-day struggling as well. Yeah, it's interesting because 
Have you uh, read much of Anna Limbeck's work, the um, neuroscientist? She talks about, like, no. she, she asks the question, why in a time of unprecedented wealth, freedom, technological progress, and mental advancement do we appear to be unhappier and in more pain than ever? And her, her, her thesis on it is that, you know, the pleasure and pain parts of the brain are co-located. So if we just have constantly hitting the pleasure side, everything's comfortable and everything's easy, then our body tries to find homeostasis in our brain by creating pain. So do you think there's something in, in that and in that because for a lot of people, life isn't it's certainly not as bad as it was or, or rough as it was for hunters and gatherers as we're evolved to be, was it? So is it that we've got it too good that's making people miserable? I, I think I really like what you're saying about the way the brain works because, for instance, if we take anxiety, we, we're hardwired to be slightly fearful. That's really good for survival. Yeah. Um, and in a world where we're largely safe, um, you know, our anxiety tends to land on things that may be happening on the other side of the world right now, which aren't actually a risk to yeah. us at all um, in our day-to-day -day life. And so, you know, one of the things that I think um, I talk about in the book is being able to recognize that actually – we can change what we pay attention to. And it's not about, as you say, feeling pleasure all of the time, but it is about recognizing that feelings come and go. And when that anxiety shows up, the, the trick really is to make sure that we let it go as much as anything. Cole, how much of it's to do with phones? Well, as, as someone who's probably would be defined as a bit of a phone addict, I might be biased on that one. But, um, you know, look, I think the reality is with technology changes, right? I, I think it's really interesting that, that attention gets focused on what we need to do with, with kids and their phones, but actually we should probably be talking to their parents. Um, I, you know, I see young people, a lot of young people doing much better with technology than people who are my age or even older. Um, but I think there is something to the short-term attention part, right? We're, we're all sort of drawn into paying attention to short clips, so, you know, and, and also drawn into paying attention to all of the things that are happening in the world. And that does overwhelm our brains, I think. So it is about being able to be aware of the impact and then make decisions about how we interact with information on a day-to-day -day basis. One terrible technique that a lot of parents I know are um, implementing with their phones is telling their kids to get off the phones whilst constantly being on the phone themselves. And yeah. sitting on the couch, and that's that's a bad strategy. If you're on the phone all the time, that's a bad strategy to get your kids off off the phone. Hey, it's interesting we talk about anxious times, and I watched that movie recently. Actually, I've watched it a couple of times, but it's uh, Peter Jackson's um, "They Shall Not Grow Old," and you see those guys going into the trenches in World War One, and they're smiling and laughing, and and you know they talk to them afterwards, and they all say that was the greatest. That you know they're all really positive about this horrific thing that that happened and i just wonder if humans just have a base level of anxiety and wherever the situation is if we don't deal with it we'll just if you're in the war you, you'll be worried about being killed there's about two other things you're worried about if you're in if you don't have any problems in your life you'll just you'll just fill those anxieties up you'll, you'll create those problems if you're not careful in your relationship or in your workplace yeah, well, in the book, I think the really important place to look to understand that apart from culture, of course, which is, you know, the, the culture that surrounds us is our early childhood and understanding that actually a lot of that security and that um, ability to manage our distress and our anxiety um, comes about as a consequence of the emotional environment that we find ourselves in. And, and you know, your your example of the phones is actually a pretty good example of that, right? We, we teach our children through how we are with them and what the emotional atmosphere of the family is like, not by what we 
tell them to do. Yeah. And so the best way to get kids off their phone is get off the phone yourself, right? They learn they learn through what they see and what they experience. And, and that's a really important thing for people to understand when they come into therapy because it isn't about trauma with a big T. It's often just about understanding that the events and the experiences that have shaped who we are and how we are, and then recognizing that we can make changes to that if we want to. You know, I think probably around World War One there was a huge culture around bravery and courage. And also, I reckon probably a lot of those guys weren't exposed to very much information about the war before they went. Now we probably know far too much about all the bad things that can happen in the world. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine sending people, conscripting people? That will never happen again. The idea of no, sending people away to a war to fight against people. I mean, I, I guess the other part is that those guys that were going away to that war thought that they were essentially fighting aliens. You know, for them, yeah, for exactly. them a, they didn't have a, a lot German, of information. Well, a German person's like they—they they had nothing. They never even some some of them have never even seen pictures of the people that they were potentially going to be fighting against. I mean, if unless you'd—I don't know—where would have you ever seen a picture in 1918? You may have seen some kind of image of something somewhere. It's like such a different world. Yeah. You can kind of see why you would want to go, though, back then. Oh, well, that's it. Because there would have been adventure, t- bravery. Yeah. There's a propaganda. You're like, I'm going over there. And then probably the second day in the trenches, you'd go, this isn't quite as um, glamorous as, as the post has suggested. <laughs> as, I, as I assumed it would be. Yeah. So, Kyle, do you find with people that you speak to, um, are, are you ever in a situation where someone's come to you and they've got problems and you've immediately gone, you have no problems? <laughs> Uh, no, I haven't really, um, because I think that, you know, the coming along to therapy is uh, a tough thing for most people, and, you know, it does have a, have a cost, so there's a couple of significant barriers to people actually getting themselves there, and so everyone's there for a pretty good reason, um, but it's a really good question from the point of view that not everybody's there because they're, they're suffering, you know, a major depressive episode. A lot of people actually find themselves in therapy because they're struggling with something that's happening in their relationship or their own behavior in relationships, and they can't quite understand what's going on. And that's where those early experiences come into play, right, of being able to understand how they shape what we experience love and closeness to be and and the kinds of things that we do that might sort of throw us off when we're close to somebody else. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Wherever you are, wherever you go, there you are, and you have so many people I've seen, they (laughs) break up with their wife or partner. And then they go into a new relationship, and strangely, all the same problems that were in the last relationship <laughs> appear. Exactly. That's exactly it. And so understanding that actually every relationship's co-created by both people and that we have a significant impact on the kinds of relationships we create, even if we're not consciously aware of how we do that. So being able to, you know, that, that psychobabble, being able to bring that from unconsciousness into, into consciousness and actually notice what we do, and more importantly, understand why we do it. I think it's really hard to change things if we don't have a story of how we ended up where we are. Well, it's interesting you say stories, because I've been thinking about this a lot recently in the stories we tell. I was talking to someone, they've got a story that they tell about their childhood that they use to explain why they are now, and you hear these stories about their childhood. And But equally, there's another way you could put that story. Like you could put the story from a different perspective, and so like how do how would I use this example? Like say, for example, you, if you're the youngest kid in the family and everyone goes away, and then your story is that you were abandoned, and so you go through your life saying, "I'm I'm not great in relationships because my um, parents were off doing some other stuff when I was a kid, and my 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 sisters and brothers left the house or whatever, and I was the youngest and I was left by themselves." That can that just become a story that you tell because you could say I'm more independent because I had to bring myself up and as a result of my family leaving me and doing stuff I learned how to do this and I became this 
you see what I'm kind of getting at? There's, there's these stories of our lives and we can tell them in different ways. Yeah, I do. And I think, you know, the family therapists talk about this idea that in a family with multiple kids, each child effectively has a different family, that the experiences of siblings are often so different as to feel like they're from a different family. So I think the thing with stories is that we, we have the the narrative, but I think the important thing in therapy is to is to understand the feelings. Um, and, you know, often to to change the feelings, we do have to be able to shift that perspective on the story. So in your example, I think you're absolutely right that we could see it as, as feeling like we're independent, but it's really hard to do that if we actually have really strong feelings when people leave. So being able to understand how we respond to those feelings, how we soothe ourselves, how we have compassion, and as you say, a bit of a wider understanding for events can over time really shift those experiences. Kyle, I see that uh, one of the chapters in your book is called How to Find Yourself and Know Where to Look. Now, that's such an interesting idea of people that are trying to find themselves. So it's such an old idea, isn't it? Because obviously you are yourself. So, uh, you know, you can, if you can't find yourself, well, you are in yourself um, in a sense. So that's quite an unusual thing. How, how, would you, if you can't find yourself, how would you find yourself, and how would you know where to look? Well, it's uh, as you say, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a logical loop, isn't it? <laughs> you can sort of spin yourself out on that for a while. Um, I think the thing is, is that when people talk about things like self-esteem or self-confidence or or our our identity, what we're really talking about is is what I prefer to think of as the kind of relationship that we have with ourselves. So, you know, a lot of therapy is focused on the relationships we have with others, obviously, but it's also focused on how we relate to ourselves, and that's you know, that's the voice inside our head, whether it's critical or or kind and compassionate. That's the the ongoing sort of narrative and conversations that we have with ourselves inside our head. And then it's about being able to figure out what is the quality of that relationship. You know, is it kind? Is it is it critical? Is it harsh? Do we like ourselves and do we relate to ourselves as if we're someone that we like and can have compassion for? So, you know, often people, and particularly, you know, we've talked a little bit about technology today, often there's no shortage of avoidance. There's no shortage of things to do to stay away from that internal experience. But actually, that's where we find ourselves, is being able to observe and experience the quality of how we relate to ourselves. And if that needs to change, we have to experience it, even if it's painful, to make it different. Such a difficult area, isn't it? Because you can definitely have people who have a negative relationship with themselves, they don't love themselves enough. And on the other end of the spectrum, there are definitely people who have far too a positive relationship with themselves despite of the fact that maybe other people might be thinking you should probably shouldn't be so positive about yourself in these situations. Yeah, absolutely. And so being able to have that balance and, and recognize, you know, it's it's unavoidable to do this kind of learning without other human beings. So in your example, the way that we learn if we uh, have an unrealistic view of ourselves, the way we learn is inevitably we have to listen to uh, and, and experience ourselves as other, other people see us, whether that's a therapist, a loved one, or, or just, you know, consistent feedback over time. And that can be very painful. But hopefully, you know, one of the advantages of, of, of therapy is that it's not someone who's in your life. So it can often be a little bit easier to hear that feedback from someone who isn't actually close to you in that way. Well, speaking of feedback, your inner voice is often a real asshole. Like, so this is the voice <laughs> in your head yeah. that's just going at you all the time. The person that hassles you most in your life is your, yourself. And I assume that's because, you know, we're evolved to survive, not to be happy. So the guy that was sitting on the savannah and his inner voice was going, this is sweet, what a beautiful day. Oh, lovely. How amazing. Everything's perfect. Got eaten by a, a tiger about 30 seconds later. And the person whose inner voice was going, you need to find a better spot. You need to protect yourself. You need to get get working on 
fashioning your arrows or whatever to protect yourself from the spider. That I mean, from the spider, from the tiger, from the whatever, probably probably survived. So that is an interesting quirk of our being that our self isn't necessarily our friend. We can we can have an an an, an inner asshole going at us. Yeah, and we recognise that as what we call the negativity bias, right? We all have, we all uh, tend to set points slightly negative, and as you say, we understand that to be about survival. I think the important thing about that, though, is that we can uh, we can observe that, and 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 observing it relate to that part of ourselves slightly differently, and also recognise that sometimes we do that because it's motivating on in a way, right? You know, to give ourselves a kick in the ass to get going is probably because that's how we've been responded to by others growing up. And, and actually recognising that we can do that differently, whether that be being more positive, being more gentle with ourselves, doesn't mean that we sort of fall apart and stay in bed all the time and, you know, lie down and wait for the saber-toothed tiger to arrive. <laughs> It's actually about balance, and we need a bit of both. And, and, you know, that's one of the core things in the book that I talk about is this idea of balance, that there isn't one way to do these things. It's about observing how we do them and then recognising when things might be out of balance. Kyle, if there's one thing that you can do to help yourself stay in balance or to find, achieve peace and quiet in in, in yourself and inner peace, what, what do you think that thing would be? Um, oh, that's a tricky question. I think the one thing that I would say is um, make sure that you tend very, very carefully and prioritise the relationships with the people closest to you. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, make sure that you are putting down the devices and having at least 10 or 15 minutes decent chat with your partner every day about how they are and how you are and how the relationship's going um, and spend that quality time with your kids. Um, don't tell them to get off the phone. Get off the phone and actually go and do something with them because at the end of the at the end of the life when we get to that end, uh, that's really all that matters is that we've had those loving connections and we feel like we've had an impact on people's lives. Yeah, because it was that 85-year um, Harvard study that just came out with the results of being studying the same people for 85 years in, in Boston. And uh, he, the, the guy that's run the study, he's the second, the first person that started it, he's died obviously, but that was what he came back with after 85 years, the biggest indicator of um, health and and you know success in life, or however you define that, was the quality of the relationships. It wasn't, it was how, some, how good someone's relationships were with 50 had health Im- impacts when they were 80. It was basically how good are your relationships with other people? It's really simple, isn't it? But like most simple things, it's hard to do. And um, yeah. that, I think, but as you say, that's we know that's what works. Um, and sadly, we know that's what works from flipping it around to the opposite, which is that, um, you know, being alone and experiencing loneliness has incredibly detrimental effects on our health. So, yeah, look after the ones you love. Which is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because you could also flip it around and go, the reason why these people have good relationships is because they are calm and there's something right and so people can deal with them and so they're dealing with their stuff so it's kind of might be a self-fulfilling prophecy if you've got great relationships then you'll have a good life but maybe you have to be a certain type of person to have great relationships yeah well, i think there's another thing which is interesting and that is at play here and that is that the technology which we've used to to communicate with each other ideally that was what the technology was there for for example phone technology which originally when it was thing was so people could communicate over long distance right they didn't have to be face to face which enabled us to reach out and communicate with people that were close to us and, and have and and enhance that communication interestingly now that very device or the evolution of that device into the device that it is now is stopping us from doing the th- from communicating with those people that are closest to us, which I think is a fascinating thing. 
and getting away from that very human thing, which is interpersonal communication. Yeah, it's deeply ironic, isn't it? Um, but you're absolutely right. And I think when device use is useful is when we're still doing that, whether that be actually staying in contact with people around the world, uh, making connections with people that we haven't met who have similar kind of interests and yeah. ideas. They do still have a really valuable purpose. Um, but just to go back to, to what Matt was saying, I mean, this idea that, you know, we we need people and the people who are good at relationships are the ones who end up living longer because they have good relationships. I think there's an extra step in there, though, which is valuing the the way in which our relationships over time help us to learn and change and grow. Um, so actually, it's a virtuous circle um, yeah. as well. Um, and, and we teach each other in, in loving relationships. Kyle McDonald, thanks so much for your time today. Shit Happens is your book, Lessons for Dealing with Life's Ups and Downs. Best of luck with everything. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. 90% of parenting is just thinking about when you can have a break. And when you do take a break, enjoy the Parenting Hangover podcast. They go together like a tutu and jandals. We've said from the get-go, we ain't parenting experts. No. But it's cool to hear, what is your neighbour doing? What do they say? A problem shared is a problem halved. Oh, that's good. Not that my children are problems, but I feel better talking about it. The Parenting Hangover with Clinton Jordan. New episodes every Thursday on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. That was clean. Because Mesh wasn't there, so no one took it downstairs. Yeah, that was because Mesh wasn't there. Mesh, oh, I'm back now, though. Mesh went off into the toilet from Masty. And that, and he's, no, that's, that's not true. Actually, that's a good point. What we that's should do is we clean. should get Mesh. It should be a new initiative on the show. Mesh should leave every hour, whack one out in the toilets, and come back, and that will just keep him clean and keep him focused. And it'll just keep the show a bit cleaner. So we Clarity don't, wank. We don't end up like getting down in the dirty stuff. Clarity wank. Well, I feel like <laughs> this is a bit hypocritical. I haven't said anything, and then now you guys are telling me to go and have a clarity wank. No, it'll keep you clear. No, that's not what he said. He said he wants to have, not to have one. He said he wants to have one on every hour on the hour. Yeah, that's, right. that's what he wants. So anyway, that was pretty good that we got clean, and I think that is because uh, Mashy wasn't him. Yeah. She kept it a bit above, above board, and it was a great chat with um, Kyle McDonald. Shit happens. Lessons for dealing with life's ups and downs, out now. At all the all good bookstores. And the bad ones. Oh, it's, yeah, there's he- that, yeah, you can get it at the bad ones as well. Yeah. Really? Yeah. What are the bad ones? Uh, you know, ones that are run the by warehouse. Like, I do. Like, for example, the warehouse. The That's warehouse. A bad one, yeah, they don't actually, the warehouse is a bad bookstore. Yeah, yeah it's not, not a, a great book department. department. It's a terrible book. <laughs> it's just some shit dumped. Yeah, like dog-eared. Can, you... can, hey, can someone ring up Kmart and say, "Could you pick some shit up off the floor, please?" Yeah, can... I went to a Kmart the other day. It's like, why is, what, why nobody is... works in a Kmart. You know, there's that. so much shit on the floor. I'm nobody works on a Kmart. Everything's on the floor. Yeah. yeah. Warehouses and Kmarts have really fallen by the way. So they clean up of, once a day. Yeah. They'll clean everything up off the floor. They're not going to keep picking it up because people no. keep picking it up and putting it down. And yeah, so why bother out. about folding things and keeping things tidy? Yeah. Whereas you go to like a, one of those boutique Ponsonby Road, High Street kind of stores. Yes. And there's about four things on the shelf. They've only got four different types of stock and that's mm. constantly being folded and refolded yeah. and placed. It's just perfectly placed. You, you pick up to look at it, a shirt and someone comes over and looks at you. Slightly annoying, and then as soon as you turn around, they refold it and put it back on the shelf. It's not really there to be touched. Why does somewhere in the middle, there's balance. Ponsonby stores all look like these kind of upper echelon uh, gift shops that you'd find in really expensive places. That's what all the shops there remind me of. Like you're saying, there's, there's usually wooden floors, a plant, and yeah. about four things on the shelf. And there's someone that's really bored on their Instagram behind the counter. And a candle burning. 
Yeah. There's usually a candle burning up there as well. Jerry, you know this, of course. You spend most of your time up there perusing the... Yeah, I'm just constantly perusing those shops. I'm in and out every day. I'm just perusing. And then there'll be someone that'll turn up that'll be like trying to return something that they've bought. Yes, that's right. Uh, uh, people are very tight with their money out there. Yeah. All right, then. Okay, then. That okay. seems busy. Mm. You seem busy. I'm going to yeah. let you go. All right, then. Okay, then. I wish I'd just taken a bit more downstairs today. Go and have a clarity wink. <laughs>